We welcome you to the Story Church. Got a little bit of a different format today. I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. If it's your first time here, if you're kind of new to the story, welcome. Those of you that are joining us online, welcome to you as well. Thank you for being a part of the story in whatever format you're watching on today. And, and hey, uh, this is an extraordinary day at the end of an extraordinary season of expectation and waiting and longing and hoping. And, uh, and today we are going to hear some really good news about some things that have finally happened in the life of this church. I'll be sharing a little bit more about that during my portion of my message later. But first, I want to tell you that today is Testimony Sunday at the story. And every service, we're having two different testimonies um, from different areas of the church. And so you get to hear two testimonies today as well. Part of the reason, not the main reason, but part of the reason we decided to call this place the Story Church is because we wanted this to be a place where everyone is free to be vulnerable and to take that risk of sharing the story of what God is doing in your life. Because I can get up here and preach and be theological and all that stuff, but nothing changes lives like a story told by someone whose heart has been transformed by God. Nothing changes the world like that can. And so we want to lift up our stories as much as possible. We do that through other kinds of media ministries and podcasts and things, but today we get to do it in worship. You're going to hear two testimonies today um, during this service, and uh, we're going to have my brother Kevin come first, and after him uh, we'll have Oliver Zinn come. And in between their two testimonies, there's going to be a song, How Great Thou Art, because you're going to hear how great God is in both of these stories um, the first one, as I said, is from Kevin Lilly. He is a, a dear friend, a brother in Christ. Um, right now, we're in this season of deep disciple-making at the story, where every week we have groups of men and women that get together, get on our knees in prayer together, read the Word of God together, and really grow, and we share our lives with each other in ways that are so extraordinary. And I have a group of eight guys that every Tuesday morning from 5.30 to 6.45, we gather in one of the offices of the hallway in the morning, and and we just do exactly that. Kevin is one of the seven guys that I'm pouring into this season, and he's pouring into me as well. He's got an extraordinary testimony. You're going to hear just one slice of it today. He said he's extremely nervous. He's given talks in front of senators and all kinds of important people. He says, you people make him more nervous than any of those people do. So would y'all help me in welcoming Kevin Lilly to the stage. Thank you, Eric. Um, Oh, Lord, help me, for I'm in anguish, always in tears and worn out with weeping. That's from Psalm 31. Um, A friend once told me that in any congregation, a third of the congregation is going through a crisis. A third of the congregation is in anguish. A third of the congregation is in tears. A third of the congregation is overwhelmed with weeping, whether it's their family, their job, friends, their health, the crazy world we live in. And... A third of the congregation is coming out of a crisis. A third of the congregation may have had a crisis some point in their life, and they're still feeling the burden, that scar that never really goes away. And then a third of the, of the congregation is going into a crisis, which is sort of a dire announcement, right? But I think the point is, is that all of us will deal with this anguish, this valley of tears, 
So it's not a question of when, it's a question of what do we do when we are there. And that's my word of discipleship. A few years ago, I was in a very bad crisis. Um, I had some mysterious ailment. I uh, didn't know what was wrong with me. I was suffering from fevers and pain, and it was before COVID. And um, I basically spent 30 days in and out of hosp two different hospitals being misdiagnosed, and finally came to the point, and this was in October, uh, that they finally sort of figured it out and said, if we don't operate on you in 24 hours, you're going to die from septic shock. So wheeled me in, and it was not a robotic. It was an invasive, long surgery. And so I woke up, um, and in this process of healing and recovery, um, I learned the difference between happiness and joy. You know, happiness is the, the Astros win in the World Series, which was happy. Happiness is um, your child getting into the right school. Happiness is getting that promotion at work. Happiness is a great golf shot. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is caffeine. Joy is protein. And so, and I was not happy. I was not happy that this had happened to me sort of in the prime of my life. Felt like I was in great shape. I took care of myself. And here I am having this, and you know, look, if you've been through an invasive surgery, they don't put you back together exactly the way God made you. So I had this big scar and I was lying, tripping on morphine and just in pain and just anguish and realizing, not sure I was going to come out of there and wondering, you know, with my wife, Leslie and my kids, am I going to leave her a widow? Um, and it's that time then that I understood discipleship because of all the disciples that surrounded me. I was not a huge prayer. I was a pretty good churchgoer. I went every Sunday. I was involved. I taught youth Sunday school, but I didn't really understand prayer life other than grace and bowing my head when the pastor would give a, a prayer. I didn't really get it when people say, you know, I'm going to pray about this before I make this decision. I'm like, what? Are you, what? what are you, you're going to get a go, no-go sign, right? Is there, okay, yes, we're going to do this. And I really didn't understand it. And then in the moment of my, the worst depth of my life, I understood that I was not happy. But I found joy. I wasn't happy this was happening to me. Why did this happen to me? But when I found these brothers and sisters in Christ who came around, many of whom I didn't know, friends of Leslie's in her women's Bible study, I'd never even met before, praying for me, people coming into the hospital, putting hands on me, praying for me, even when I got out and I was still not quite right, coming to my house and praying over me, I was so overwhelmed with joy that these people would come to a guy who's full of a lot of faults, and sit there and spend their time to be disciples. That, it blew me away. And so I realized the parable of the paralytic, and that was my life. I don't know if you remember it, but basically there's a guy who's paralyzed. Jesus is coming in. He's preaching at a, at a house. And of course, if you've been to a little house in, in Israel, they're very tiny. 
and it was packed, and so nobody could get in. And so they brought their buddy on a mat. They didn't have wheelchairs. And they said, well, we can't get in. So what are we going to do? They went up on the roof, cut a hole in this guy's roof, which I always thought was kind of odd what the after effect of that, that was. And then they lowered him down, which is tough. Can you imagine having to lower, lower a grown man through a roof on a mat? And Jesus healed that paralytic. And he said, you are healed because of the faith of your friends. It wasn't just your faith. It was those people around you. And so I realized that I was the guy on the mat. And everybody in this room is going to be on that mat one day, whether you like it or not. So the question is not when you're on the mat, but who's going to be holding the rope for you? And are you holding the rope for others? And I decided at that point that I needed to be a rope holder, that I needed to be the one that was willing to hold that heavy load of a friend who was going through a crisis so that he could find or she could find redemption and healing. And just two weeks ago, I did something that was not normal for me. I, I had a friend, unfortunately, who was going through hospice. And he had a, um, and I, you know, he was a guy I kind of felt, you know, you have friends that you sort of lose touch with. And our sons had played sports together, a Jesuit, and we'd coach Little League together. But he wasn't really a believer. He was a little bit of a cynic, kind of a smart aleck guy. And I told Les, I said, you know, I'm going to go to hospice and I, I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to pray with him. And I was so worried. I was so nervous that he was going to reject me. And Eric Johnson, who's a wonderful brother and here at the church, um, he said, man, just be bold. Just do it. Just do it. Don't be embarrassed. Go do it. And he actually gave me some communion cups. He said, have communion with the guy. We were both Catholics. That was kind of, I knew that would be comfortable for him. And I walked in, man, and I don't know if you've ever been to see somebody in hospice, but it's, it's not pretty. I mean, he was at the last, he was at the end of his life. I mean, he was just skeletal and weak, but he was conscious. Then I walked in and I said, hey, man, I'm not here to sit here and talk about stuff. And I said, you know, Kurt, that was his name. I said, I'm going to see you again. And it's not going to be in this hospital room. I said, do you believe that? And he said, yeah, I do. And I said, I brought some communion. Do you want to take communion? He said, yeah. I said, let's go. Let's do this. And then I put my hand on his arm, and I prayed. And I said, you know, I said, Kurt, the Holy Spirit's in this room, man. Jesus is going to take you away. And he, he put his hand on my hand, and we prayed together. And, you know, it was um, at that time I was holding that rope for him. And um, because so many people had done that for me. So I think discipleship is to be willing to pray for the guy or the girl next to you right here in this church. And as we're moving on to this new place, this new beginning, it's my hope that we don't just come here to get fed and to hear Eric or to hear the band. You want to hear a good podcast? You know, you, you can hear good sermons on a podcast. Don't just come here for the entertainment. Come here to be part of this community, to be disciples of Christ because that's where you're going to find joy. So thanks.
Check. Okay. <laughs> hey, my name is Oliver Zinn. I'm eighth grade and I go to Lanier Middle School. I'm going to Lamar next year. Okay, where to start? Sometimes I don't feel like I have a crazy enough testimony. I mean, I'm a normal kid and I had a really, have had a relationship with Jesus my whole life. Stronger some years and less strong others. I started going to St. Luke's when I was younger, but I really did not want to learn about Christ. To be honest, I was just there to color and sit and listen to a story I thought was cool. I did that for many years until everyone at St. Luke's kept talking about the new cool church, the story. I did not care much about it until my best friend told me he went there. That instantly made me want to go. I went one Sunday and saw a stage with, oh, with singers and not huge golden pipes behind it, and it felt different. Then I started attending Foundations, which is the Stories Youth Group. I originally just went to play sports outside, but then I started learning about Jesus and I started growing closer to him. Still, I would say my relationship with God was good, but it wasn't great. If I could, I would sleep through Sunday service. Fast forward. Fast forward, a smaller student ministry, but a special family atmosphere. Teaching felt more one-on-one, -on -one, which made it easier for me to understand and meet others. My relationship with Jesus was getting better. Then I went to Forge Retreat in February. I didn't think Forge was gonna be a life-changing experience. I went because my mom signed me up. That weekend was so different from a normal Sunday morning. Every time we sang, it was like a concert with hands raised and people jumping around. On the first day, I actually thought they hypnotized everyone to put their hands up in the air while singing. But then I saw the reason that they were acting differently is all these kids had such great relationships with Christ. The speakers for the weekend kept talking about the Asbury Revival. They showed us videos of it and it was insane. I would say we had our own minor Asbury revival and on the last night, hundreds of kids went up to the stage and talked about their struggles and share what God was doing in their life. Oh, I had never seen anything like that. It was crazy. I'm not going to lie. Most of my prayers to that point were three sentences max. But at Forge, I was saying prayers longer than my essays in English. <laughs> I had the preacher, Austin, pray for me, and then some random high schoolers prayed for me as well. <laughs> and there in the woodland, I felt God with me. Forge was so different, but being in a different place allowed me to grow in new ways. That weekend was the moment when I knew my relationship with God was real. I knew that Jesus can move the same way in Houston and at the story if I let him. So to everyone here, if you are like me and feel like you don't have a crazy story or insane testimony, you still can. If you want a stronger relationship with God, it can always be strengthened. Just let Jesus in. And to all the kids in here, if you're just going because your parents made you, just remember, even if you don't care about God, he cares about you and still looks out for you. Thanks.
Amen. Thank you, Oliver. It's awesome, brother. Thank you. I could have done without that one line about sleeping through my messages. But other than that, <laughs> really appreciated it. What a testimony. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for these uh, testimonies that we've heard today for Kevin and for Oliver, um, for the ways you have worked in their lives. Um, God, it's just a miracle when we all look back and see the ways you've taken care of us, provided for us, made a way for us, um, given us more than enough to allow us to be here today, talking about you, learning about you. Maybe some of us are even doubting you, but at least we're here doing it, God, and uh, that says a lot about your provision and protection over us. Um, so God, we pray that you would be lifted up in this time, that we would uh, remember uh, that we owe you everything. And although you owed us nothing, you gave us everything. And so we just come to lift you up, to lift your name up, and to make you known um, throughout the land. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What a day. What a day. Next week, we'll kind of be back in a normal groove. We're starting a new message series next week throughout the month of May. It's going to be great. Today, we're celebrating because we have much to be thankful for. We wanted to share these testimonies. I'm going to share a little bit of like the stories testimony. Like if we were to have a testimony as a church, that's what I want to share now. And, and you're going to hear me talk about some of our rope holders in this community over the last several months as Kevin talked about the, the importance of being a rope holder and what that really looks like is you know, discipleship, holding someone else's rope just like someone else held yours. As I was thinking about the people that were willing to share their testimonies, young people, especially like Oliver, and in every service today, there's a different young person sharing a testimony, and the courage that it takes, I was thinking about just when you're his age, how risky that could be. Like, <laughs> so many things could go wrong, you know? It went great, man, but so many things could have gone wrong. And, and then, you know, your peers, they never forget it, and you grow up, and you're the guy that messed his testimony up, and, you know, so many things could happen. And, and the willingness to take a risk, to be vulnerable, the willingness to put your neck out there, there's something about that that just screams faith. Like, that's what faith is. The Bible says that's where God meets us. Not in the safety of it all, not when we're trying to hedge our bets and, you know, sort of uh, have our cake and eat it too, in a way. We keep Jesus as a side piece, a just-in-case kind of thing, you know, it's just like when I'm in trouble, I'll call on his name. No, when we talk about discipleship, we're going all in with Jesus, and, and that takes risk because so much could go wrong from a worldly, you know, standpoint as you, as you go and get serious about Jesus. It made me think about um, this meme that somebody sent to me last October as we as we closed in on this deal uh, to pursue the Bethany Church property, this absolutely audacious <laughs> goal that we set back in October, kind of out of nowhere for many of us, um, this deal came. Somebody sent me this meme that said, uh, no risk, no story. No risk, no story. And there's something that rings so true about that for us as a church uh, for Oliver, for Kevin, for all of our people that are testifying today, and for probably you as well, you'll find throughout your life in Christ that the more you're willing to risk for him, for his sake, as you lift up his name, the more he meets you in the middle, the more he takes you through the times of uncertainty, because that risk, that's what faith is. And we're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to be safe. You know, we're, we're here to put it all on the line 
in, in Jesus' name. And so um, I, I celebrate the way that we as a church have done that over the past uh, several months. Back when it seemed impossible, this wasn't long ago, by the way, less than a year ago when it seemed impossible that the Story Church, given what we had just been through, could pull off a deal like the one we're celebrating today, um, well, it, it, was, uh, it was unthinkable. Stuff like this just doesn't happen in the real world. And of course, you know, when you stick your neck out there by sharing the plan publicly, as we finally did in October, this plan to purchase the Bethany Christian Church property, there's all these doubts that come, like probably the ones that Oliver and Kevin went to bed with last night. Like, what if something goes wrong? What if I fail? What if I fall coming up the stairs? Like, what if we don't raise the money that we need to raise and we have to walk it all back and go back to square one? What will that do to our church, our momentum, our sense of community, you know? How do you give refunds on pledges? I don't know. All those kinds of questions were coming to my mind, you know, in this waking, recurring nightmare I was having. As some of you remember, we made the announcement back in October, and by Christmas, we had already raised what we needed, even though none of you were given advance notice. None of you knew it was coming, right? We sprung it on you. It was a big surprise. By the way, we need $20 million, <laughs> you know, uh, in, in, in five-year commitments. $20 million, that's 10 times our annual revenue. Unheard of, unthinkable for a church that had never even had a capital campaign before. How is that supposed to happen? Well, by Christmas of last year, it had already happened with, by the way, no paid capital campaign specialists. You know the, the type, the, the fundraising professionals? They're always very slick, and uh, they always have all the materials and everything just how it should be, and we didn't have anyone. We didn't want to give a certain percentage of what y'all were going to give to some consultant, so our consultant was Pastor Gio. You guys know her. Pastor Gio became our consultant at no cost, no additional cost to the story. Pastor Gio took that role on, and her uh, trusty sidekick, Mackenzie Herman, uh, also took uh, much of that role on keeping the, everything going, working tirelessly. I mean, I've always known Pastor Gio to have an incredible work ethic since I met her in 1997, but in the last six months, like, I don't think she's put her laptop down because there was so much that had to be done to keep the train on the tracks, and she did it. We, I, I'm not saying this because she's my wife. I'm confident we would not be here today, but for her efforts, and we're grateful. Rope holder. Rope holder. We also went into this without paying any kind of outside firm to create and print all of our printed materials and all of our online stuff. We made a website for this capital campaign for such a time as this, y'all remember? And we didn't hire any outside firm to do that. We just trusted our, the story's own Kat Bruff, who already had her hands full with a full-time job as our communications manager. But when the opportunity arose, she did not hesitate for a moment. She went over and above the call of duty to print all those beautiful materials to make and oversee the video that y'all saw, the website, all of it, to make sure everybody knew what was going on. And all of it was done at the last minute. Like, we didn't have any lead time for this. It all happened so quickly, and Kat just made everything. And you would not have known that it was done in-house. You would have thought we had some kind of outside firm printing everything for us. Kat was the one that did it. I'm not positive about this, but it's possible that Kat lives here now. Like every time I come here, she's here. And when I leave, she's still here. She might be squatting. We'll let it slide because she's so awesome. 
we pulled off this campaign without a full-time finance administrator or without a finance department you might expect to see in a church raising the kind of money we had to raise. And a lot of that um, responsibility of financial accountability and the phone calls had to be made, everybody made a pledge, a lot of that fell on our own Melody Duarte Morales, another rope holder. Many of you know her as a worship leader here on Sunday mornings. Well, you may not know, she also happens to be a very talented attorney um, and an extraordinary administrator, not to mention a mother and all of that as well. And and yet uh, she willingly took on the role of a part-time finance administrator to honor God because she loves God that much. It's not about career or anything else for her. She loves God that much. She loves God's church that much. She wanted to keep us accountable on the financial front rope holder. We pursued this deal as well without any team of high-priced attorneys you might expect for a real estate deal of this magnitude. Uh, We had no such team fighting our legal battles and scouring every contract and LOI that was sent back and forth racking up the billable hours (laughs) uh, coming out of the church budget. We didn't have that. Our legal team was Dorrance Monteith. And Dorrance Monteith uh, loves this church. He happens to call the story home. He is a brilliant attorney. And uh, he offered his legal uh, prowess pro bono from start to finish. And I don't know how many hours he could have billed us for, but I hope I never know. And (laughs) and, uh, what a gift Dorrance was through the whole process. We did this deal without a team of expensive professional closers who will often be responsible for getting the financial part of it through the banks across the finish line. We did have a team, but they were not paid, at least not by us. Their, their payment is awaiting them in heaven, I think. It's, it's Colin Atchison and his team at the Houston Group um, who, who got everything with the bank processed, all of the unimaginable stacks of paperwork uh, and everything that had to be done, along with his team, Sylvia Gonzalez and uh, Arnie Azios, they got it done. Rope holders they are. We also didn't have to sign an, a high-dollar expert to help us finalize all the unimaginable amount of work with the surveys on a three-and-a-third-acre property in River Oaks. The surveys, the inspections... The asbestos, the, <laughs> it's all taken care of, don't worry. The, <laughs> no really. Uh, <laughs> if the city's watching, we took care of it, okay? And uh, all the deed work and everything that had to be done, and instead of us having to pay someone to do that, God sent us a man named Burdett Huffman, no relation, but that man is my brother in Christ. Burdett Huffman came through. He does this kind of work for a living. And he and his family love this church. And so they helped get us to where we are today. There have been others, many others, who offered wisdom and expertise and stuff they would normally get paid to do for free for the story to be where we are today. I won't show you their pictures, but Bill Wheelis's name comes to mind, our pro bono real estate broker, uh, Alan Hassenflew, whose idea this whole thing was from the get-go. Robert Moore from Bethany Church, who we kind of stole. He's now a story person, um, but he also is a Bethany Church person. Uh, but he has been instrumental, as has Vicki Stone, who leads the uh, Bethany Christian School, the preschool that we will soon be taking uh, ownership of this summer. She's been uh, incredible through the process. Now, all of that, what it is, I mean, there's incredible stories of people holding ropes for this community. What's even more amazing to me as I look back and where we are today has been our community, your, your, and your responses over the last three years as the Story Church has faced challenge after challenge 
and you continue to say, I'm in, I'll take this risk, I'll jump this leap of faith, and let's go. Three years ago, when the pandemic pushed everything online, and look, nobody knew what that meant for the church, whether the church would ever come back together, not just our church, the church, right? Everybody was worshiping online. Nobody liked it. Everybody was in their pajamas. Y'all like that part, but worship, online worship is not the same. I mean, I mean, it's, it's great to have as a, as a fallback plan, but it's not that fun. I mean, if you're falling asleep in person, imagine trying to stay awake at home. Like, I get it. I get it. I get it, but you stayed connected, you dialed in, you kept supporting your, your church through that crisis three years ago. Then two years ago, we ran into another crisis as a community. We, everything kind of came to a head between us and the United Methodist denomination that we had called home up to that point. And some of you, because you believe so strongly in what was happening at the story, and more than that, because you believe so strongly in the true and trustworthy word of God, and you believe that we cannot compromise on, you know, modern day kinds of spats and social issues. Some of you walked away from a denomination and or a local church that you and your family had been a part of for generations. And that's not nothing. That's big. I mean, that's a huge sacrifice to make. You paid a price for your commitment to the gospel. I want you to know I saw it. Pastor Gio and I saw it. But more importantly than that, God saw it. And God sees it, and God honors that kind of risk-taking faith that says, I don't care if I'm comfortable. I don't care if we're in the prestigious place. I don't care about any of that. I care about the truth of God and making Jesus famous in the world today. And so many of you did that, and you're seeing God's blessings. We are seeing God's blessings poured out because of that faith. And then less than one year ago, when nothing about the story's future seemed clear. We had just started renting this place on a two-year lease here in the museum district. We presented you all with the wild idea of a capital campaign to raise 10 times our annual revenue to purchase one of the most coveted properties in this city. And you all said, where do I sign? Let's go. We're ready. Again, with no lead time, no warning, there was no comfort about that at all, but everyone here stepped up. And since we announced the results of our campaign and word got out that we had hit our goals or we'd raised what we needed, you know, I've had a few people online and in person ask, what exactly happened? How did this really happen? Like, I think the implication has been that maybe they're, because people know our history, we're not, we're not you know, the most... Uh, established church in, in the city. There was some implication in some of the comments that I heard, like maybe we were bankrolled by like one or two high-powered like Houston families or something. Maybe it's a very top-heavy campaign, and, and that's how a church, like the story, gets to this point. And I'm not angry about those kinds of insinuations. I want you to know the truth, though, and I want you to see exactly what kind of rope-holding operation this has been. And so I wanted to share this little report with all of you. Here are the facts of the matter. For our campaign, we had 222 total commitments. Those are families and individuals that uh, offered some kind of commitment. 60 plus percent of those, or about 60% of those, were uh, between $20, so that's $4 a year, and $25,000, that's $5,000 a year. It's a five-year campaign, right? So the great majority of people who are all in were very faithful 
Some of these gifts touched me the most, even though the numbers weren't as big. I know some, the people that gave these amounts. One of them was a full-time law student who's scratching out a living, eating ramen noodles most days. And she's like, I'm in. Here's my $1,000 commitment. I'm in. You know, those touch me as much as some of the larger ones. 60% of our commitments are in that bracket. 43 commitments were in the range of 26 to 78,000. 28 commitments between 100 and 200,000. 15 commitments between 250 and 600,000 for the five-year period. And then three commitments were in the seven-digit range, ranging from 1 million, and it was one that was 2.5 and one that was 5 million. As I'm grateful as I could be for all of those, you know, the bigger ones as well. But I wanted you to see it's not the kind of campaign I've seen in churches in the past. Like I've been a part of churches in the past where you raise a similar amount, but there's like a 10 or $15 million lead gift and everybody else just kind of gets in and fills in the gap. This was not that. This was us. No matter how many zeros was on your card, you contributed to this to get us here. It took all of us. Together, it was a family effort, a team effort, boots on the ground, uh, grassroots, all hands on deck kind of effort, just like we said it had to be back when I introduced this campaign. And everyone stepped up and played your part, and here we are. You took that risk, and we took it together. It was a sacred risk. Why? Because once again, we know without a risk, there is no story to tell. And then, friends, on Tuesday morning, I was honored to represent all of you in signing like 475 documents to close the deal, <laughs> making the Story Church, you all, the proud new owners of the beautiful historic property at 3223 Westheimer Road. Congratulations, by the way. Later that same morning, um, those of you who got the last-minute email invitation, because frankly, up until Monday night, there was a lot of doubt about whether or not we were actually going to be able to close. Uh, we had a lot of last-minute complications, as is pretty normal for this kind of deal. Um, and so after we finally got clearance to close, some of you got a last-minute email invitation to join us on the front lawn of the story's future home where we unveiled uh, the sign that's now planted firmly on that property that reads, future home of the Story Church. I hope that picture lives for a long time in the lobby or family room or somewhere over at our new homes that we always remember what an incredible miracle God has done in our midst. The question on many of our minds naturally is how will the, this turn of events, this incredible miracle change us as a church? You know, how... Obviously, it's going to change us to have a mortgage, whereas before we have never, never had that kind of pressure. It's going to change us to have a big property all of our own, where we've just been renters and borrowers up to now. Like, what's it going to change about the story? Here's what I know. I know that through it all, for the last eight years, we've had the same priorities, we've had the same mission, and we have been unwavering about that mission of inspiring non-religious, skeptical people who don't know Jesus to follow Jesus and give him their lives and to testify to that end. We've been about that business for seven, eight years now, regardless of whether we could meet in person or not through COVID, regardless of whether we knew where we stood with the Methodists or anything, regardless of any struggles, that's always been our mission. That's been your mission, and you've believed it so firmly that whenever we start to deviate from the mission and we get a little too religious or a little too cute or whatever with our sermon series, you're always calling us out to get back to the basics. That's Christian accountability. That's rope holding. That's faithfulness. 
in the small things. From the beginning, we have been about this sort of thing. All we want to do is reveal Jesus. And Jesus made it clear in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 10 to 12, what happens when you're faithful in the small things. Whoever can be, trust, whoever can be trusted, Jesus said, with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? What's his point? When you're faithful in the small things, God will give you more. This is not a prosperity gospel. It's not about earthly riches. It's when you're faithful with your earthly riches and whatever God puts in your hands as a faithful steward, he blesses you. What did, what did Jesus say? True riches? He's not talking about more money or just more buildings. He's talking about heavenly riches, glory, grace. He's talking about opportunities to make Jesus known, to be a part of the family of God. People of the story, and I know we're not perfect, and this isn't about lifting us up as a community, but man, you have been faithful. You have been faithful in response to God's faithfulness. You've been trustworthy in handling the things God has gifted us with as a church. And so now he is blessing us, I believe, with all the riches of heaven. You've been trustworthy with someone else's property, And now he's gifting us a property to call home. How will this remarkable miracle change us? I think it only magnifies what has already been happening here. And this property is not our church. This property is a tool that God will use through us to grow his church to make the name of Jesus known in our community and beyond. This property will be a place where many souls will be saved, where thousands will be baptized, where children and students like Oliver will learn and grow for generations, where people, maybe loved one of yours, will get married, have their weddings where babies will be blessed and baptized, where some of us will be remembered and laid to rest, where non-religious skeptics will be inspired to follow Jesus for longer than any of us will be alive. Praise the Lord. These are the riches of heaven. This is what we get to bear witness to by the grace of God. May you, may we continue in our faithful response to God's rich faithfulness toward us. Let's pray. Lord, remind us today, whether it's as a church or individually, there's nothing you can't do. We as a church and some of us uh, individually have faced giants recently. Maybe some of us are facing insurmountable uh, obstacles right now. We don't know where to turn. We're not sure what to believe. We're not sure if we can say or sing with all confidence that you'll never let us down. 
because it just seems uncertain, Lord, break through the uncertainty. Help us to see your light through the darkness, to trust you for all your promises are true. It might not take our timeline, but yours for it to be revealed, Lord, but we trust that you're going to come through, Lord. And I pray that those who are on the brink of a breakthrough, break through right now and just choose to trust you with every part of their life, God. Whatever doubt, whatever uh, kind of despair, whatever limitations have held them back in the past, maybe they're afraid of, of putting all their eggs in one basket, Lord, but you are the one we can trust, Lord. And so I pray for courage right now for those in this room and watching online to give everything to you to trust and believe that you are God. You are worthy of all praise, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity and for this day of celebration. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.